0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, and welcome to Not So Linear, a podcast that's here to help normalise conversation around grief and help you feel less alone in your own journey. I'm your host, Tamzin, and each week I'll be interviewing some amazingly strong people who share their own stories on how they've navigated life after loss but don't worry we'll talk plenty about finding happiness what inspires us and helps us to grow and whilst none of our journeys are so linear what we do know is that it's better to get through it together Hey everybody! Firstly, I cannot believe we are up to episode 5 already. This is the one I probably learned the most from, just simply because I haven't been through this experience myself and was delving into the unknown. I recorded it a few weeks back with Dr Jess, who is an LA-based psychologist who helps women in reproductive mental health. However, all of her theory went completely out the window when at 16 weeks pregnant, she had miscarriage. The majority of my listeners are in their 20s and 30s, the childbearing age, meaning it's so incredibly important we know how to openly talk about this taboo topic, support ourselves and our peers who may experience a miscarriage. What really hit home was the fact that I came to the realisation that so many women deal with this grief by themselves because as a society we do not talk about pregnancy until the 12-week window has passed. Dr Jess and I do discuss this quite a lot because... We started to wonder why. There are many reasons, of course, why women don't want to talk about it so early on. But is it because we're too scared to talk about grief? We're too scared to talk about our loss? What if actually it became normal that we did talk about our pregnancies at six weeks and then it helped more women feel supported and feel like they had the ability to open up if a miscarriage did happen. Of course, everybody is able to have their own opinion. Whatever I think or you think, we're all completely different. But it really made me question that when I have my own child, would I be so secretive in those early days? Because actually, I know I'm quite an emotional person. And if I was to go through this experience myself, I'm not sure I would want to hide it. However, Like I said, we're all extremely different. I think the purpose of this episode is to just get these kind of thoughts out there and get people talking. Dr Jess and I also talk about what you shouldn't say to somebody who's gone through a miscarriage and how many women wrongly put blame on themselves when actually a lot of the time it just comes purely down to science and as well as that, how important it is to make sure that we support the person who is also the partner. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review because the more that you do that, the easier it is for my podcast to be found by others. So Jess, thank you so much for joining. I know it's been difficult with us trying to get the time zones. I'm really keen to talk to you today because miscarriage is something that I have never experienced before, but I know that my listeners will have so many questions because Miscarriage is something that is just not spoken about, is it? And with you now being a kind of leader in this area, I thought, why not get you onto the podcast and hear all about it? So it'd be great if you could give us a bit of an intro into who you are and what you do.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's really wonderful. And I love that you're so interested in something that you've never been through yourself. Uh, That feels really good to be invited into this. Um, Yeah. So as you mentioned, so uh, I'm a psychologist, I'm based in Los Angeles, and I specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health and have done so for, I think, like a decade and a half at this point. And so the reason why that matters is because I did specialize. So I would sit here with the women and families hearing about their experiences of trying to get pregnant, struggling in pregnancy, pregnancy loss, perinatal and postpartum mood and anxiety disorder. So all things related to the road, I guess, to motherhood. And I had not lived through something personally that I could sort of relate to. I was just interested because I was a woman and because I'm passionate about these kinds of issues. But it wasn't until my second pregnancy that I ended up having a 16 week miscarriage while home by myself. And that harrowing, dramatic, traumatic loss just sort of shifted my life lens, you know, from the inside out and invariably affected the way that I think about my work, the way I thought about what my patients had shared with me about the aftermath of loss. So the isolation, the alienation, the loneliness that can come, the way that people are often met with platitudes that are not helpful in their grief, all of these types of things. Suddenly, I was swimming in all of this too. And so it it wasn't until after my healthy daughter was born uh, that I started really writing though about miscarriage and really wanting to make a dent in the cultural conversation surrounding it. Yeah. You know, one in four pregnancies results in miscarriage about one in a hundred silver. It's a lot. And that's the thing, you know, it's like, it is a normative outcome of pregnancy. It doesn't mean that it feels good, but it does mean that it's happening all the time. And that's why we have to kind of wonder. And that's what's crazy. Right. Why aren't we talking about this? I've never
0: talked to anybody about miscarriage yet with one in four people, or sorry, one in four pregnancies having a miscarriage. Why is it so kept under the carpet? We never talk about it.
1: It's interesting because I feel like some of the people in Australia and New Zealand I've connected with through my Instagram community, I feel like there is a pretty passionate and involved loss community. So maybe people don't talk about it until they go through it. But it seems like over there, uh, you know, there are some people who are pretty outspoken, thankfully, uh, about the topic. I think those of us who were so affected by our experiences, we want to change society. And we want people like you to, you know, and and my kids, you know, to grow up in a world where this can be talked about openly.
0: When you went through your miscarriage, did you keep it to yourself? Or did you reach out to other people for help?
1: I was already in therapy. So I turned to my therapist to talk about, you know, what I had gone through, I felt comfortable turning to people. But yes, the question you're asking is so important, like returning to work, though, And then having to sit across from patients, them now knowing that I'm in pain, I'm in a pain that they know. That was excruciating and that was compelling. And that I get really into this in my book because I felt like, hold on, I have my PhD. How did I not learn along the way anything about this? About a therapist losing a pregnancy, about a therapist grieving something that their patients know about because my belly had expanded. So I think, uh, you know, I want to say that ultimately I, I hope I've become a better therapist for it, but I look back and I think, what the heck was I thinking returning to work as quickly as I did? I don't know that I was able to provide the type of attention that I aim to provide all the time because I was just so wrapped up in my own experience
0: you had your own trauma that you were also trying to deal with and I guess the return to work is so difficult for women and I've heard you speak about in your podcast previously that in society we do not talk about our pregnancies before 12 weeks Mm. and why is that is that because society tells us that we shouldn't talk about death and loss if we are to go through a miscarriage and that surely alienates people even more so how have you experienced that what's your thoughts
1: Thank you. Yes. uh, I'm very passionate about this particular part of the pregnancy loss conversation because, yeah, I think unfortunately, like I get why healthcare providers say this to people, you know, that they say until you're into the second trimester, there's risk of miscarriage. And then they don't have to say the next sentence, which is, so maybe don't share your news until you're quote unquote out of the woods. Because as those of us who have had later losses understand you're you're never out of the woods. And then also to your point, if we lose a pregnancy, aren't we gonna want support? And why should we rob ourselves and other women of that support? So it really is quizzical. And it's true though, you know, a majority of miscarriages happen in the first trimester. Again, I do understand the sort of scientific sentiment there, but what is kind of Couched within that statement or tucked in is this kind of like, yeah. And if you lose the pregnancy, you're not going to want to talk about grief. So, let's just want, just skip that altogether and only share it when it's like unequivocally good news.
0: I never gave it thought in the past, but if I was to be in a workplace knowing I was eight weeks pregnant and then hadn't told anybody, and the next day I was to traumatically lose my pregnancy, who would I turn to? Because I hadn't told anyone. So not only had I gone through the emotional roller coaster of bringing someone excitingly new to my life, they then when? And I wouldn't have anybody to share that with.
1: That's exactly right. And I mean, yes, that's in the work setting that you're talking about, but they're even, I feel like suggesting that you don't tell anyone. So if you didn't even tell your own parents or your best friend, so it's, yes, it assumes that we shouldn't talk about grief and that we shouldn't have support. Should we find ourselves in it? And that just doesn't work. I mean, again, especially because, I mean, it, look, if if miscarriage happened like one in a million, all right, I would maybe understand why they, you know, suggested to do it that way. But this is too common, too frequent to ignore.
0: What would you say is the best way to help somebody going through a miscarriage? How do you feel that people should approach the topic
1: Yeah. So I I find this question a little bit easier to answer in the the other way around, which is here are the things not to say. So the platitudes are really the most off-putting. They're well-meaning. People just say it because they think it's nice or the right thing to say. But a lot of times these things really alienate people. So most sentences that begin with at least don't work at least, you know, you can get pregnant. At least you have a healthy child. At least you have a thriving career. At least you were ambivalent about becoming a mother. No, no, no. Then there are things like God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Yeah. Those are the worst I would say. And so, but in answer to your question, it's, I think it's super simple. It's confounding why it's so hard for people to just embody this, but I think the best way to meet somebody in their pain is to simply say, "How are you doing?" And I'm here for you. listening. Yeah. Exactly. We don't need to decide how someone's feeling. We don't need to project what we think we would feel. We don't need to assume. When we don't need to fix, especially because there is no fixing of grief anyway, but we just ask. And that's the problem. I often feel in my grief, if people say things like, you know,
0: at least that chapter's closed or at least they didn't feel pain or like, at least you're okay now, it's dismissing my emotions. They're not Mm. hearing me. They're trying to offer me a solution, but sometimes I don't want a solution. I just want to be heard.
1: Exactly, And that's the thing why are we so afraid of getting close to people's pain? Like people want chapters to be closed, but I think chapters aren't closed when they're traumatic.
0: They continue throughout the rest of your life, don't they? One thing I'm also really keen to explore is okay, so we know how miscarriage can affect the lady who is actually going through this traumatic experience. But what about the people around them, such as their partner? How can we help them?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a really important question. Um, During COVID, of course, I'm not seeing anybody in person, but I have talked to some couples on on Zoom. And yes, it's it's a tough thing. What I hear more often than not is that the person who underwent the physicality of the pregnancy loss often feels a distance in the partnership or or can feel misunderstood or can feel a longing to uh have the person huddle up closer or you know sort of understand the complexity uh a bit better but there are of course plenty of people who are you know who are the partners who feel extensive pain around losing the thing i focus in my book and in my work, a little bit more on the person who actually like physically went through the loss, but which isn't necessarily, um, it's, it's not to say that the other person doesn't feel the pain, but I think that when you're the pregnant person, you sometimes get more attached or you are the one that's bleeding from the miscarriage. You're the one that's like having to bear the brunt of the pregnancy and the loss of it. But emotionally, of course, the partner can be just as invested.
0: So maybe this is a good chance for you to talk about your book and
1: maybe give us a bit of an insight into what it covers. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So I started a hashtag campaign in 2014 with my first New York Times piece. And in that piece, so... Uh, October is pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. And so I decided I wanted to write a story that was really sort of about uh, my experience. And but within that do like a call to action. So really, you know, trying to ask people or invite them into questioning the current state of silence and stigma and shame surrounding pregnancy and infant loss. So that's when I started the hashtag campaign. And then I took to Instagram and started this whole community there. So my book, which is called, I had a miscarriage, a memoir movement comes out March 9th. And it's really a coming together of all this work I've been doing for several years now. So it, the book opens with kind of inviting you straight into my life. Uh, so the, the beginning is very memoir based, but within the book, I kind of I'm sure to take the reader into the various aspects of our lives that are affected by loss. So partnership and friendship and family relationships and work life and, you know, navigating body image related stuff, uh, memorializing loss, all of these kinds of things. And I also weave into the book fictitious patients so that people are, they come to my office through the book. So that they really get a sense of, so it's not like when you read this book, it's just Jessica's story, you know, not just my story. I bring in other people to really shed even more light on the various ways that loss can affect us.
0: Now, even though you've written your book. Grief is a journey, isn't it? It's not over. So for you, what are the other things that you try and work through with your own miscarriage? Other things that still come up in your personal life now that can still trigger your mental health around it? Mm -hmm. How How is that kind of going in your life now?
1: Thank you for asking that. Well, so my loss was eight years ago now, which seems unbelievable to me. So I will say that at this point, I don't feel, I don't think about my loss on a day to day basis, except for the fact that I, of course, talk about it every day, but it doesn't hurt in the same way. It doesn't affect me in the same way. Certain times of the year seem to affect me more. So, like, my loss was in October. So, the lighting in October and the, the anniversary of the loss, of course. Sometimes around my daughter's birthday, I'm even more aware of. The fact that this other daughter didn't make it. You know, I have to say that sometimes the feelings are actually a, more about the me that I miss as well. You know, the, the the pre-loss me. And that's something I think I think about even more. It's like the grief of the person that I was before knowing death so intimately.
0: That's one of the things I love to ask my guests how does your grief change you? and surely, whilst it's been such a traumatic experience, if you look at where you've come and the things that you're not doing to help this
1: community, do you feel that it has almost become empowering? Yes, that's a great word. Yes. I think my hope is that through my experience and, you know, navigating this, the arduous road of grief after I lost my daughter, I hope, I hope, I hope that my efforts sort of pay off or are fruitful in terms of connecting other people or somehow making someone feel less alone, helping people understand that they did absolutely nothing wrong, that they did nothing to deserve this loss, and that grief transforms us and that that's okay. Like, I think if grief is based on love, why would we want to undo the grief? It doesn't mean we want to live in it forever. It doesn't mean we are going to be depressed forever or something, does it? It means we're honoring what we've been through. And I think that's beautiful and potent and we have to.
0: Many people must look at miscarriage in a, in a very different way, almost detaching it from grief because they think, oh, well, that woman hasn't met their child yet. At least it's not the same because their child wasn't born. But actually, it's a completely different way to look at it. Your child was unborn. You didn't get to meet that child. Is that something that many women talk about when they come and talk to you? That
1: they didn't get to meet their child?
0: Yeah, like, and the stigma around it when people maybe dismiss their grief because yes. it's not the same as having a child that was alive. Yes. They didn't 100%. get a chance to meet their child.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And I think that's why our society has such trouble dealing with the grief around pregnancy loss, because no one met this baby, no one met this fetus. And so sort of Mm -hmm. like, I think people minimize it, like, you got to get over it. Like, at least it wasn't a toddler, at least it wasn't your mother, at least it was. And it's like, well, for many people, especially because these days we can know we're pregnant so early on in the pregnancy because of pregnancy tests, people get attached. People get attached to the idea of this pregnancy and of this potential person. They get attached to the idea of a family. And so people don't really seem to get that, that that's part of the reaction of the grief. And yes, I do think a lot of people feel minimized for that.
0: And I think that for many women or you know, a family trying to get pregnant is also a really big thing. For many people, it could be that they have spent months trying to fall pregnant, and each person has a completely individual story, and each pregnancy and miscarriage leads a completely different way.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. My book definitely is sure to include people who don't feel devastated after loss. Sometimes people aren't. And that's okay too. So it's like, we can't Mm. assume what people feel unless, until we find out. And I think that's hugely important because for some people, a six week loss may just feel like, you know what? Something must not have been right. I'm going to try again. For another person with a six week loss, they might be devastated.
0: You know, Do many women feel like it's their own fault?
1: Yeah. And I think unfortunately they do that because the medical facts are not understood for some reason, or maybe because we, again, we live in a world where we're not talking about it enough, but the, the science shows that a majority of miscarriages are happening due to chromosomal or genetic issues. So there's nothing you can do short of getting in like a very intense like car accident or doing drugs heavily. You can't create a miscarriage through your behavior. It's not like drinking some coffee or exercising. These things don't create pregnancy losses. They just don't. But I think that people blame themselves because there's not enough information out there. But also, I think it gives them a sense of control, you know, like, okay, well, maybe this was my fault. And maybe if I do something differently next time, it won't end up this way.
0: What is the one thing that you've learned from doing this? What would you what's your biggest takeaway from all the work that you
1: do now? Good question. <laughs> I mean the I think the simplest but most profound answer is that we're not alone. We don't have to feel alone in the midst of grief. And if we have it in us to share our stories, and I'm not saying everybody has to get on a rooftop and share their story necessarily, but Sometimes opening up being vulnerable and sharing our stories is the glue like that in itself provides connection and community and really allows us not only to know, but to feel like we're not alone. And I think that's remarkable. I really do.
0: I've definitely learned that through um, my own podcast. You just can't believe the amount of Instagram community support that you can get through grief or through what you've done through your I Had a Miscarriage campaign. If I'd known that existed, well, to be honest, it didn't. My mom died when I was 18, about 10 years ago. It, the social media world has now brought so much more support, which is just fantastic. You must feel quite proud with what you've built.
1: I, I do. I wish I felt more proud. I don't let it in enough. It's an interesting thing I need to take more of a look at because I do, I get direct messages almost daily from people around the world and it's so heartening. And yet I think because of the amount that I'm doing around the topic, it's like hard for me to let in just how meaningful this is and just how far reaching, even though it's my goal, this is my goal, you know.
0: Do you ever find it overwhelming? Because I know for me, building this first season, I've had to talk about my grief so much. Being on my phone, networking, takes a lot of time and effort. And especially with you launching your first book, um, how has that impacted you in terms of your mental health?
1: Yeah, so I have, you know, two small kids at home and I have a thriving clinical practice. So, and there's COVID. (laughs) So, you know, to factor in launching this book, is, it's been a feat. I mean, it's a big deal. I, I don't know how how we've pulled this off, but I couldn't be more grateful that it's come together. There's part of me that's like, it would it be better if it came out in like a post COVID world? But I don't think that because people are going through these losses amidst COVID and feeling even more isolated because their partners can't even come into these doctors' appointments with them right now. I mean, it's wild. So I feel lucky and grateful that it's come together.
0: And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: I just want people to understand whether they've been through pregnancy loss themselves, or they know somebody who has, or even if you haven't, if none of that applies, and maybe you'll know someone eventually. uh, It is not the fault of somebody's, and so if if you hear this and you have any thoughts, tickling thoughts about what did I do something or oh, all my friends were able to get pregnant easily, but I wasn't, or did I do something to deserve this? The answer is a resounding no. You did absolutely nothing wrong. This is a very difficult outcome of pregnancy sometimes, and unfortunately, too many of us understand this heartache. But I think it's important for young people to understand that this is not a disease. There's no cure for miscarriage. So the sooner that generations start talking about it openly, the better off we're going to be so that people like you, if you go through it or you don't, or you know people who do, you'll kind of have a different sense, I think, of the cultural conversation if, if we chip away at this.
0: I think for me personally, even having this conversation, I've never talked openly about this topic before. I really feel like I've learned so much. And even, you know, going to talk to my friends, I can go later today and and tell them it's just one of those things where you just don't talk about it in normal everyday life. And and we should be doing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like so many things. I think like we don't talk about cancer until we know somebody with cancer. We don't talk about abusive relationships unless we know somebody like, you know, Our culture doesn't like to talk about difficult things in general, but I think it behooves us to try to be a little more comfortable in the uncomfortable because eventually we all become a statistic of some kind. I mean, it's just if you live long enough, you can't get through life unscathed. And so whether it's the heartbreak of losing a parent like you did young, uh, losing a pregnancy, experiencing a mental health crisis, all of these things, you know, it's worth talking about. Well, thank
0: you so much for your time. It's been amazing to talk to you and I wish you all the best
1: with your book, launch. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for inviting me on your show. I think what you're doing is so meaningful and important. Thank you so much
0: for listening to the Not So Linear podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review
1: across Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Thank you.